Have you been there? Have you been there? You know, he's expecting this delicious home-cooked meal. I mean, he's been working hard all day long. You know, he's been making the bacon, and he's coming home, and he just wants a little love and respect. Instead, he gets a TV dinner, a cold shoulder, probably in his case, a cold shower, right? Have you been there? You know, it starts off so good. I mean, you know, he, you know, he's doing everything he can to woo you. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, walks in the park, it's the rain, it's the love, it's the romance. I mean, he's, he's thinking of you, he, he's trying hard. I think we got a picture of him going to ballet with you. Do we have that picture? You know, he's writing love notes, he's walking in the rain. And then you, I mean, when you started out, man, you loved football, right? You loved contact sports, you know, you loved NASCAR, and hunting. And he thought, wow, I found the perfect one. And you both were just so excited and you entered this thing called marriage and you were just going to live forever, happily ever after. And then one morning you woke up. <laughs> and we've all been there and it's usually sooner rather than later, you know. And this person of your hopes and dream, this person you thought you could never attain is now someone you cannot get rid of. You know, it's kind of like that farm dog, you know, that shakes off after that car, you know, and, and once in a while he catches one. Like, now what do I do? You know, I thought this marriage was kind of like a, you know, a, you know this, this relationship was kind of like a, you know, a lease, you know, and like there's an option and there's a way out. But no, you stood before God and you made covenant vows before God until death do you part. Now what? How do you get back to living and loving happily ever after rather than unhappily ever after? You see, reality clarifies what romance conceals. Little time, little truth, little reality, and now you know what you got. And now you're kind of stuck with what you got. So what do you do? Where do you go from here? Well, last week we began this series by talking about the importance of laying a good foundation, an incredible foundation. If you really want to live in happily ever after, you've got to develop and build a love that will go the distance. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. We looked at what we call God's love. And God's love is called a what kind of love? Agape love. It's a selfless love. It's a love that's a verb. It's something that you do, even when you don't feel like doing it. We learned that love is a verb. Something you do, not just feel. And you have to do love to feel love. Can you say that with me? You have to do love to feel love. And maybe that was the most important part of last week's message. Because when you first started dating, man, you were doing love. I mean, you were busy, you were thinking, you were working at it. And now you quit doing love, and the feelings of love are gone you got to do love to feel love. Love is a verb, and then we talked about love as a choice. Love is a choice that you make every day of your life. You choose to forgive. You, you choose to be patient. You choose to be kind. You choose to forget their offenses. Love is a choice you make. Whether you feel like it or not, you choose love. So love is a verb. Love is a choice. Last week, and we saw that love is commitment. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is until death do us part. 
And we concluded by saying this, love is submitting to one another. Love is submitting, putting ourselves. Love is submitting to one another out of reverence and respect and honor for Christ. Can we say that together? Love is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if you want to beat the odds of divorce, we have to choose to love each other with God's love by unconditionally And that's the big word, and that's the hard word. And next week, we're going to talk about the crazy cycle of of divorce and the crazy cycle in marriage. And the answer to the crazy cycle is this word, unconditional. We'll talk more about that next week. By unconditionally meeting our partner's greatest need. And this week, we're going to find, I think, the key need. You have two key needs in order to live happily uh, ever after. And today, we're going to look at the key need that wives need to meet in their marriage. And next week... We're going to talk to men about the key need they need to meet in marriage, all right? So marriage is a need-meeting relationship. I mean, you know, tell me what you don't already know, right? There's a lot of needs there. And there's been a lot of great books, and I've read many, many books. Probably the classic is, uh, you know, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus by Dr. Uh, John Gray. And then you have my favorite by Dr. Harley. I mean, with a name like Dr. Harley, can he be every guy's favorite? And and he wrote a great book on, uh, it's called His Needs, Her Needs, How to Build an Affair-Proof Marriage. And he points out that the needs of men and women are very similar, but their priorities are vastly different. And that's what messes us up. Our priorities are vastly different. And he lists the five basic needs that women expect their husbands to meet in marriage. And we'll talk about that next week. And then he talked about the five basic needs that men expect their wives to fulfill. Now, what do you think is number one on the list? Gals? Yeah, you don't want to say it in church. It's okay. <laughs> the, the right word that he uses, and he's very good at clarifying this, he uses the word sexual fulfillment. And why he uses that word? Because he says, in order for a man's need for sex to be met, his wife needs to enjoy being with him as much as he enjoys being with her. Sexual fulfillment, number one on the list in all his studies and research. Number two is what? Number two is? Recreational companion, recreational partner. Man, he wants a playmate. You know, he wants someone to do things with him. You know, number three is? Come on, guys. What do you think number three is? Food. (laughs) What's number three? Attractive spouse. Attractive spouse. Guys are kind of vain. They want a pretty wife. Now, yay God, thank God that that was not in the top five for the women. A lot of us guys would be in bad trouble and shape. But number three on the list is an attractive spouse. Number four is domestic support. Basically, we want to be able to dump our kids on the wife. All right, that's number four. And then number five is, say it with me. What's number five? Admiration. Now, I've probably read uh, a dozen, half dozen books on men and women and their needs and what are their needs and what are their strong needs and what's their greatest need. And I really, honestly, and truthfully have. I mean, I had like an aha experience. I mean, I, I really mean this, and I really believe this. I, I really believe that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter got this one right. And if we want to live ever, happily ever after, the wife has to do this, I'm going to share it in a minute, and the husband has to do, has to do that, and I'm going to sh- we're going to share that next week. All right? I think they got it right. Now, 
I would really want to encourage, I, I thought about delivering this message in the drum shield. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is one of these messages that I, I just don't know if I'm going to win, um, you know. And so I really, I sincerely, really, you know, I, it's fun to joke, helps me relax because I'm nervous. Um, I really want you to hear this message in its entirety before you respond emotionally to it. I really want you to hear it in its context and to really see the big picture. We're going to go to a passage in a little bit that I've never preached from before. And I just really want to ask you to kind of give it time and let's try to get the big point of the passage before you shut down. All right? And guys, I want to ask you to do the same thing because I believe this need is behind all other needs. This is the core need that men desperately need and want in their relationship. This is the, the need and the problem behind so many fights and so much miscommunication is women just don't get this. They just don't understand this. Just like men just don't get them and understand her and it creates all kinds of problems as well. And that, That's next week, all right? So if you've got your Bible or your electronic device, which is even better. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And look, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And um, before I read this, let me just apologize. <laughs> um, I've never preached on this passage before. Been here almost 29, 30 years. Probably because of the cultural controversy of this passage. But more importantly, I think it's because I, I think I missed the point. I really think I have missed the point. And I have found the point of this passage, and, and I want you to see the point. Don't miss the point this morning. Ladies, wives, don't miss the point. Allow yourselves to see the truth of God and his wisdom and his, his truth that he's given to us in his word. Don't miss the point. All right, now to help us really understand this passage, I'd kind of like to begin by looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3 kind of takes Peter's passage and he kind of puts it in context. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, the, the Bible says this, Paul says this, but I want you to understand, go ahead and read this with me out loud, can you? That the head of every man is Christ and the head of the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Now, what's the point here in this verse? What's the point in verses 1 through 8? What's the point? You know the point that, that Paul's trying to make? The point is this. We all live under authority. Just like a police officer, whether it's a male police officer or a female police officer, when it comes to the way I drive, I'm living under their authority. You know? I'm, a, I'm living under their authority. Now, just because I'm living under their authority doesn't mean I'm inferior to them. And when they pull me over for driving fast or drag racing or whatever the case might be, um, and they come across, you know, disrespectful. doesn't give me the right to be disrespectful back. I live under their authority. They are an authority over me when it comes to obeying civil laws. And Paul's trying to tell us all here that we all live under authority when we realize that and recognize that and respect that and get under the God-given authority, we live a happier life, right? And it says here the husband is in a position the husband is in the position, he's in the function, he's in the role as the husband to lead his wife, to lead his family. Now it doesn't say, and this is where culture's gone so bad sometimes, it doesn't say men, what's it say? It says husband. Look at Paul's word. The head of a wife is who? 
her husband. Men are not in a position as men in authority over women. I mean, for years, that was the case. Women didn't even vote to the, what, 60s, late 50s, whenever it was. I mean, that's sad and sick because people misunderstood and misrepresented Scripture. Women, in general, are not in submission to men, period. But in marriage, there's authority. And you've got to get in alignment with that authority. And the husband is the head of his wife. So the husband's the what? Say it, ladies. What's the husband? And what's the wife? That's right. She's the neck and she turns that head wherever she wants. She does. And women, you just don't realize the power and the influence that you have in that relationship. If you will just get this one thing right, and that one thing isn't what you think that one thing is, if you'll just get this one thing right, it's amazing the power and the persuasion and the influence you have if you'll just get this one thing right. And I'll tell you a little bit later on what the one thing is. Hopefully you'll discover it for yourself. But the husband is in a position of authority over his wife. Now guys, with authority comes what? Responsibility, that's right. And God's going to hold us accountable for how we lead our wives, how we lead our our families, and next week we're going to talk about that and how to lead well and how to meet the greatest need that our wife have in a marriage, in a relationship. Ladies, you're going to love next week. You're going to love next week, so please don't leave the church as a result of this message, but come back, all right? All right, so now what's the point of this passage? 1 Corinthians eleven three. The point is this, what? We all what? We all live under, say it together, we all live under authority. We all live under authority and Because we're under authority, it doesn't mean we are inferior. A wife, because of her position, is not inferior to her husband. Just like Jesus Christ is not inferior to God. That would be blaspheme. Paul says this, the head of Christ is who? Head of Christ is God. Jesus is not inferior to God. He is God. He's 100% God. He's 100% man, but he's in a position. He placed himself in a position. It's called the kenosis theory in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself of all the glory of God, and he put himself in a position to be under God. And when you read the Gospels, often he says, you know, I'm here to do not my will, but my Father's will. He put himself under authority, even though he was God. He became a man. He became the Son of God, and he put himself under authority. He lived in authority under God. So what's the point of this passage? We all live how? Under authority. And because we live under authority doesn't mean we're inferior to the one who is in authority. We're not inferior to cops. We're not inferior to to the president. We're not inferior. We're in a position of living under authority. All right, now in light of all that, now let's look at this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's begin reading with verse 1. And let's remember the, the, big, the big question is, what's the point here? What's the point? What is, what is Peter trying to say? Likewise, wives, be, what's the word? Subject. And the word subject, the Greek word here means to put yourself under. To put yourself under the authority of your husband. Likewise, wives, put yourself under. Be subject to your own husband. Place yourself under his authority. So that even if he doesn't, get this, even if he doesn't obey the word of God, even if he doesn't live by the Bible, even if he doesn't believe the gospel, believe the good news that God loves him, 
Even if, it is, if he's not a, a great moral example, he doesn't live like a godly man. Even if that's the case, this is what I want you to do. What's he say? They may be what? They may be one. The Greek word again is they may be one over. They may be one over without a word. <laughs> without a word. By what? Their conduct. What's the conduct that Peter's talking about? He's talking about the conduct of placing yourself under the authority of your husband. And in doing so, you're showing him respect. You're treating him with respect and with honor. And when you do that, you're the neck. And you win him over. And you turn him wherever you'd like him to go. Dr. Ray, are you saying I need to respect my husband even if he's a jerk? Yes. <laughs> even if he doesn't meet my needs? Yes. Peter's saying you need to show him respect regardless. And this is the key. It's this word called unconditionally. We, have, we live in an, a happily on after marriage because we have conditional love. We have conditional feelings. You know, If you do for me, then I do for you. If you stop, I stop. And that's why we have this round and round merry-go-round fights and conflict. Unconditionally, we need to respect. Look at verse 2. Uh, when they see your, what's the word? There you go again. That's it. Man, when they see your respectful conduct, when they see your pure conduct, you're going to win them over. You're going to win them over. Do not let your adoring, uh, don't let your focus be on the external. Now, Peter's not saying this wrong to do this. He's saying, man, just be careful. Don't let it become your focus. The braiding of the hair, the, the putting on of, of gold jewelry or, or the clothing you wear. But let your adoring, let your focus be the hidden person of the heart. Put your focus on your heart. Put your focus on showing respect and treating your husband with honor and with respect. With these imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very, what's the word? Precious. What, what is, what's precious? Is it being quiet? No. Is it not saying a word? No. Is it being a doormat? No. What's precious is when you treat your husband with respect and with honor because you understand that he is an authority as your husband. And you unconditionally choose to place yourself under his authority, under his leadership. Look at verse 5. For this is how holy women, godly women, who hoped in God, who had faith in God, used to adorn themselves. How did they adorn themselves? By what? By submitting, by respecting, by placing themselves under the authority and the position of their husband, their own husband, by submitting to their own husband, by respecting their own husband. As Sarah, get this, obeyed Abraham, and she called him what? Lord. Dr. Uriah, are you saying I should call my husband Lord? Yes. You know, Lord Brent. Nice ring. You know, Philip. You know, Lord Philip, you know, Lord John, Lord Paul, Lord Ray, nice ring, Lord Raymond, you know? You know, is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. See, there's a different culture, and get, please understand, different culture, but the principle is still very true. 
Wives need to subject themselves to their husband's position of authority over them. You need to treat your husband with respect. And Shara, Shara, Sarah, Shara, we wish Shara, whatever her name is, um, what's her name? Sonny and Cher, yeah, we wish Shara did this. But anyways, Sarah showed her husband respect by calling him Lord. That was the culture that day. Same principle, it's showing respect. Okay, now, now flip over to the passage I really want to study this morning, which is, it's going to get worse. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25. Ephesians 5, 22. One of my favorite. I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Verse, verse 22 says this, Wives, and what's the word? Submit, and that's that same word. Put yourself under, show respect. Show respect, treat with respect, honor. Wives, submit to your own husband as to who? Wow. Think about that. The same way you call Jesus Christ Lord and you submit to him, you place yourself under his authority. Paul says, man, the same way that you honor and respect Jesus Christ, honor and respect your husband. Hard stuff to do. We'll get to that next. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. We're going to talk about that next week, guys. We've got to die for our wives. That's, it's, it's harder than you think. Uh, verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit. Place yourself under his authority. And what's the next phrase? Here we go again. This is really hard stuff. This is what you call unconditionally. Paul says, man, in just everything, honor him. Respect him. Submit to him. It's not based upon his performance. If he deserves it, I will respect him. It's based upon his position. He's your husband. He's in a position of respect. Now, we're not talking this morning about sickos out there, okay? If you're in a sicko relationship and, and he is abusing you, you need to get out and get help. All right, and we got another passage on that, but we don't have time to get there this morning. We're not talking about people who are abusing their position or misusing his, their position or his position. All right, but you need to show respect. Just like you would, and I, I just like using this as an illustration, but I think it's so good for us to see it. It's, it's just like showing respect to a police officer that sometimes acts like a jerk. Now, I'm not saying all police officers are jerk, all right? I, I like cops. I like firefighters. I really do. I respect them. Sometimes you come across some that are what? You said it. They're jerks. Okay, yeah. So since you said it, I can say it. They're jerks. Um, and, and just because he acts like a jerk doesn't give you the right or the permission to treat him like a jerk. You still need to honor and respect his position. And... Personally, maybe I should get in the drum shield. You know, I think the same thing is true when it comes to our president. And it really bothers them the way sometimes Christians talk and refer to our president. He might be of a totally different political persuasion and belief than you do, but we still need to respect him. He's our president. And he's in a position of authority over us. That doesn't mean we cannot voice our concern and, and make our arguments, but we do it with respect. We've lost that in this country. And that's why we're in this cycle that's sick. Because there's no more respect. There's no more valuing the office, uh, the office or valuing and respecting people. 
I'm going to preach it now. Let's move on here. Okay, so, so Paul's talking to wives, and then in verses 25 through 32, and we're going to look at this next week, I really believe this is the most beautiful passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Paul now talks to men, and he talks about the husband, how he ought to love and, and cherish and honor and die for his wife. All right? And then he comes to this incredible conclusion like I said, when you read Scripture, you've got to be careful. You read some things, you get all whacked out and offended. You've got to see the point. And I think Paul brings his whole chapter to the point in verse 33. Look at verse 33 with me. Let's read it together, can we? However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she, her husband. What's submission? What's all that talking about? What all those words? It's all talking about respect. Now, why is God stuck on this? Why is God and Paul and Peter and the Old Testament, why are they stuck on this? Because God knows that the greatest need men have in marriage is to be respected, is to be honored, is to be valued. God knows that. It's the core of every fight, every problem. Your husband's crying out to know that you respect him. Crying out to know that you value him. All right? So what does it look like? Four things real quickly. How do you demonstrate respect? Number one, appreciate his hard work. Do you remember Aretha Franklin's uh, song that came out in the late 60s called R-E-S-P-E-C-T? Let's watch. Think you get the drift, huh? Incredible song. Encourage you to go home and listen to it. Google it. This song became the driving song of the women's liberation movement. And uh, I'm all for giving women respect and honor and treating them as equals because they are equals before God. And we should always treat them that way. And we'll get into that more next week. Um, but this song was written, written by a guy by the name of Otis Redding. Same guy that wrote the song, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Beautiful song. And he wrote the song, probably kind of confesses to about himself and how when he comes home, man, he'll give his wife anything and everything she wants if he can just get a little respect. She'll just give me a little respect. I'm working hard and I'm coming home. And if she'll just give me some respect, if she'll just appreciate my work. Every man is dying to hear from his wife. I appreciate your hard work. Ladies, how long has it been? Since you've told your husband how much you appreciate his hard work, his job, most men feel their wives do not appreciate and value how hard they work for the family. They receive greater satisfaction when you give them words of appreciation than receiving their paycheck. You've got so much power. He's dying to hear your words. Thank you. I appreciate you. You're doing a great job. 
Men want to be appreciated for what they've done, not for what they want, their wife wants them to become. And the way you get your husband to be what you want him to be is to appreciate what he's done. Honest appreciation is the greatest motivator for most men. You know, and, and Toy, I, I found her, there she is. Toy Step is such an incredible example of this, and I called and asked her if I could use this. Um, you know, Toy comes, I usually sit here, and I, I watch her, I see her, and when John comes up here, Toy is uh, John, our worship pastor's wife, for how many years? 10 years, 12 years? 13. And, um, and she sits there, and man, when John comes up, she just lights up, you know, and when he worships, she just engages and she'll come this service, and she'll come next service, and she brings the kids so they get a chance to see Daddy work. And then every week, she always fills out that comment card, and she puts on there, man, that John Step was incredible today. Man, he's a rock star, you know? And I tell you, when I tell John he's a rock star, it doesn't mean squat. But when Toy tells him he's a rock star, it just it lights up his world. Men long for appreciation we long to be appreciated for our job number two admire his strengths be positive be positive it's every man's dream to have his wife admire him now some of you wives you might be thinking you know my my job is to kind of keep my husband humble no that's god's job your job is to be his number one fan, to be for him, to build him up. And nothing will inspire a man to achieve more than a woman telling him that she thinks he's wonderful. I mean, it's just true. He then will live with a greater determination. He will work harder. He will be capable of handling greater responsibilities. He draws confidence from your support. And I wish... Guys, that we were stronger than this. But, you know, let's be vulnerable. It, it's true. These women, we're like putty in their hands. Sometimes you just don't tell them they don't know it, but it's true. You know, I work so hard on preparing these messages. I know it doesn't come across that way, but, I mean, I put 20 hours in every week. I'm glad you think that's so funny. I put 20 hours in every week, you know, and you're thinking 20 hours. It really should be a lot better than it is. But, but you know, the first thing I want after I preach that message is I want to hear what Jan and the elders think. The elders pay me, you know, and they keep me employed, and my wife keeps me happy. You know, and when she points out something like specific in my message, like one of the points, or it's like that cherry on a hot foot Sunday. I mean, it just it means the world to me. Admire his strengths. Behind every man should be an admiring wife. So appreciate his hard work, admire his strength, and acknowledge his needs. Men are sexual creatures. Duh. Some of you are thinking. You know, it's kind of the way God made us. It's really not our fault, you know. It's God's fault. I mean, he designed us this way, right? You know, acknowledge his need. Acknowledge his need to be with you. Don't make him feel bad or less of a man. You see, it goes back to the respect issue. When you say no, it's not just saying no to physical need. It's going back to his esteem. It's going back to respect. This is the Apostle Paul's advice. 1 Corinthians 7, he says this. The husband should do what? Fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority, here it is again, this authority thing, over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. In other words, they're choosing before God to limit their sexual behavior to each other. 
And so because of that, man, we got to give ourselves to each other. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relationships. Some of you thought, man, I didn't know that was in the Bible. It's right there. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to praying. Some of you ladies are thinking, that sounds like a great thing. I need to pray more, you know. Hey, honey, I'm praying tonight, you know. Afterwards, you should come together again so that, what's it say? What? Satan won't be able to tempt you. Paul says, man, you know, don't refrain, man. You know, you need to have frequent relationships or Satan's going to tempt you to cheat. Because of your lack of self-control. Now, now, why do men cheat? Most psychologists used to think that, you know, it's just kind of like this, you know, it wasn't his fault, which I don't believe for a second. Um, you know, it's just kind of his biological need to wonder. He just needs to propagate his species, you know, and all that, C-R-A-P. Um, but most psychologists today would agree with uh, Dr. Harley that women cheat primarily to be loved, uh, to feel loved. We'll talk more about that next week. And men cheat for admiration. The number one reason why men cheat, it's not sex. It's because that woman makes him feel like a man. That other woman makes him feel special. She respects him. He feels that respect. The ladies don't encourage your husband to go outside the marriage in order to find a woman who approves of him, who admires him, and respects him. Men have this huge need to be respected. So appreciate his work, number one, right? Number two, admire his strengths. Find the positive and and stroke it, okay? Number three, acknowledge his needs. And number four, affirm his leadership. God has wired him to lead. He's supposed to be the head. And Jesus called him to lead, to lead like Christ lead. How did Jesus Christ lead? With what? A towel, right? I mean, he, he exampled leadership to his disciples by picking up a towel and washing their feet. So whenever your husband picks up that dish towel, you need to affirm him. You need to say, come on, be a man, you know? Wash those dishes. Dry those dishes. Be a man, you know? No. It's very possible that some of you have never learned how to affirm your husband. Maybe you grew up in a home in which your, your father wasn't a believer, you know? Sometimes, often, in marriage and relationships, we feel something, but we never voice it. I want to encourage you wives today to go home today and to voice it. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build one another up. I want to encourage you to go home and build your husband up by saying, I want you to be my leader. I want you to be my spiritual leader. You know, in 35 years, it's been a long time, I started at five, in 35 years of doing ministry, behind closed doors, when a wife's having problems, she comes to her pastor, the thing I've heard the most out of women, what they want from men and what they ask all the time is, how can I get my husband to be a spiritual leader? You know, and basically by that, she's kind of asking, you know, what what can I do to get my husband to pray with me? What can I do to get my husband to pray before meals? What can I do to get my husband to value more coming to church and to to love the kids and to pray with the kids? Now, this is kind of getting a little personal, but my wife says that she feels most attracted to me when I pray with our kids. So I made sure every single night I was praying with the kids. (laughs) 
I would say, honey, I'm going in there to pray with the kids. With Phil, if you want to come watch, you know, I'll pray with the kids. Women want their husband to lead spiritually. And when that wife comes in and she asks that question, how can I help my husband? What do I need to do? I always go back to the words of Peter. You can win him over by showing him respect, by showing him honor. And then I usually ask this question if I find they're receptive. I'll say, do you respect his leadership in other areas of your life? You can't expect him to lead you spiritually when you're not willing to let him lead you financially. Well, I'm the one that's so good with the numbers. It's fine. You know, you've got influence. No one's saying not share your thoughts and feelings. But you acknowledge him as the leader. When he feels like a leader, then also he wants to serve. But we'll, we'll get into all that later. But he can't lead you spiritually unless you're willing to let him lead you in all the other areas of your life. So are you appreciating his hard work? Are you admiring his strengths? Are you acknowledging his needs? Are you affirming his leadership? That's what God is asking wives to do in a Christian marriage. If you want to live happily ever after, the first key, the first important thing, after laying a foundation of of mutual love and mutual submission, is the wife choosing unconditionally to show and honor and give respect to her husband. Next week, we'll see what guys need to do. And they got to die for you, so it's, it's pretty tough. So you make sure you bring them back next week. Just turn that head right towards here, right towards church, all right, and, and, and get him here. But you know what? You know what I find? And maybe some of you have been kind enough, and maybe you haven't formed an emotional opinion to what I've shared yet to the end. But let me say one last thing, and then I'll, I will get in the, in the uh, drum shield. What I usually find because marriage is tough. It's hard. And usually that wife's there, and she wants to save the marriage. And what I usually find is you start talking about what the Bible teaches about submitting and showing respect and what respect looks like and how to honor. What I re- usually find when the woman who refuses to do that usually is the woman who's refusing to bow her knee and to let Christ be the Lord of her life. You see, honoring your husband and putting him first is a deeply spiritual issue. And it starts with you being broken before God, saying, Jesus Christ, I want you to be Lord of my life. I put myself under your authority. I believe you love me. I believe you gave your life for me. And I trust you. And when you put yourself under the authority of Christ, then it's a whole lot easier because you trust him to put yourself under the authority of your husband and to respect and to honor him. Can we pray? Their heads bowed. I'd really like to talk to some wives this morning. And if you're a wife this morning and this message has really rubbed you wrong, I ask you to do the hard work and really look at your heart in relationship to Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in him?
And maybe right now this morning, that's what you need to do. You need to put your faith and trust in him alone to save you. Okay, right now, can you just pray and say, God, I acknowledge that I've made bad choices. I acknowledge that I sin. I believe that you love me with this, this agape, unselfish, submitting love. And I believe in Jesus. And I invite him to come into my life. And others of you men may be joined in that prayer. Can you acknowledge your need of Christ? Invite Christ to come in. And then can we all pray right now and say, God, help me to live under authority. Say that. Let's say it together. God, help me to live under authority. God, help me to live under authority. Make that choice and you'll be happier because of it. And men, can you pray right now? And say, God, help me to live up to my responsibility. Help me to lead. Help me to be a spiritual leader. Help me to lead my wife and to lead my home. and To be an example of a godly man and a godly father and a godly person. Help me to lead well. Help me to pick up the towel. And to unconditionally love her. God, we thank you so much this morning for the incredible truth of your scripture. And even though sometimes it's hard, Father, you call us beyond ourselves. You call us to to lay ourselves down. God, help us to answer that call. Help us to build relationships that are special because we follow the teachings of your truth. God, help us to submit to each other out of respect for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.